When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The president has released the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, a million a day. Gas prices have fallen by a dollar and 15 cents from their peak. It is time that the United States restore its dominance in energy production. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. When the barbarians were at the gate, you were happy to let them in. How dare you, sir? You were calling Trump America's Hitler. Then you kissed his ass. And then he endorsed you. This guy goes on national TV and says, I love Nancy Pelosi. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The White House set to tap the strategic oil reserve with three weeks to the election. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as Bloomberg News leads the way on the top story in Washington today. Up to 15 million more barrels of crude from our emergency stockpile to keep gas prices from rising. But will it work? We'll talk with Bob McNally of Rapidan Energy, author of the book Crude Volatility. Later, it was fight night for Senate candidates in Ohio and Utah. We'll talk debates and races with Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick, who's on the ground for round two in Youngstown. Analysis from our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, they're with us. The president not expected to say it out loud until tomorrow. But Bloomberg broke the news early today. The administration is set to release more oil, at least another 10 to 15 million barrels of crude from the SPR. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about it early in the briefing today. And, well, she wasn't about to step in front of the president. He said last week he would have more to share on what he is doing uh, to bring uh, gas prices or what he will continue to do to bring gas prices down. But I do want to add a couple of things here. Gas prices have fallen by a dollar and 15 cents from their peak. Uh, which was not too long ago. The 98 consecutive day decline this summer was the fastest in over a decade. There you are, in case you're playing along on your home game. A hundred, make that a dollar fifteen. But of course, we were looking at hundred dollar a barrel oil not that long ago, and we have seen a bit of a creep higher. Where did we end today? It was just heard from Charlie Pellet, eighty three sixty two for WTI. Gasoline's another issue, though, another matter. And this would complete the original plan rolled out in the spring, to be clear. 
to release a total of 180 million barrels. This would bring us to that point. The White House now also needs to talk about replenishing, refilling the SPR. We talk about it all with Bob McNally, founder and president of energy consulting firm Rapidan Energy, author of the book Crude Volatility, The History and Future of Boom-Bust Oil Prices. And I'm thinking you could probably write another volume now, Bob. Welcome back. Will this actually make a difference to prices between now and November 8th? Well, you know, we're pr- thanks, Joe. We're, we're pricing it in already. We're down today on the news that Bloomberg broke and others are now starting to pick up that the president's likely to include an SPR draw. And, uh, you know, I would say 15 million barrels is probably the minimum. I mean, he has the option of uh, speeding up some congressionally mandated sales and going higher. So, hmm. you know, uh, I think that's, that's being priced in right now. Um, you know, no, I think the main reason oil prices have tumbled since the summer is that recession risks have and China and China's slowdown have sort of overtaken the narrative from Russia disruption, which sort of dominated in the second quarter. Right. We mm-hmm. went from 80 to almost 140 on Russia. We thought we we're going to lose three million barrels a day in April. The wolf yeah. didn't come in the village. Recession took over. And notwithstanding the OPEC plus cut, which did give us a little bit of a rally. You know, we're back into um, recession fears and headed down, yeah. I think. And this well, Saudi Arabia of- showed up in the village, though, right? And, that you know, that just the whiff <laughs> of cutting production got prices moving higher again. That's right. I mean, I think the market was surprised by the size of the quota cut, 2 million barrels a day, which is going to mean about 1 million barrels a day of real cuts. But, you know, that's after they were actually increasing production a little bit in September. So it was quite a turnabout, surprised the market. But look, right after that, we just started heading down again. Well... White House economic advisor Brian Deese was talking about this. This is just two weeks ago, speaking to the benefit of releasing this oil from the SPR. I want you to listen to the way he put it, Bob, and we'll, we'll have you reply. You don't have to take my word for it. If you look at most serious oil market analysts, they would say, you know, one of the most significant drivers of blunting oil price increases over the last set of three or four months was the president's decision to release a million barrels a day from the strategic petroleum. So one of the most significant, I guess you can couch that a little bit, Bob, but your point is that many other factors were involved here. And if that's the case, why release more? Well, no, yeah, I would call it one of the factors, not the most significant. I think the most significant was the failure of Russian supply to collapse this summer. Just hard to overstate how important that was for the rally earlier this year. Secondly, it was China uh, and its slowdown and, it, and the Xi Jinping sort of, quote unquote, reelection, reappointment yeah. and what that means for shutdowns and so forth. So it, it's a factor. It, it, you know, I kept commercial inventories from drawing more than they would have, but I wouldn't call it one of the most significant factors. Look, you can only play this game for so long, right? We have about 400 million barrels left. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can keep on draining it. But, you know, at some point you mentioned refilling. They're going to yes. have to refill if they want to have a strategic asset. And so. I've always said, you know, this is like going going against OPEC Plus with the SPRs, like going into a fight with, a, you know, with guys with AK-47s with a squirt gun, right? Oh, it's geez. a finite resource. You get to use it once. And mm-hmm. I think this is going to make the coming boom cycle in oil prices even boomier if we just depleted this emergency stockpile. So you can wow. only use this thing once. We heard from the White House, Jared Bernstein, another economic advisor, that, that, that the strategic reserve is about half full right now. Uh, I don't know if that is uh, jives with the, the numbers of barrels you're talking about. Uh, but at what point do you start buying? I mean, w- this is lowering prices. Do you kick out a whole bunch of oil, kind of push prices down? I realize you're manipulating the market and then start buying it back to stockpile it in the SPR. Yeah, and it is. There's about five, 405 million barrels left. The capacity is 717 million barrels. So it's a little over half. 
Uh, and uh, look, if you believe in the SPR, and uh, and I think most people do, and I think the Biden administration, to its credit, does, yeah. uh, you've got to refill this thing. Now, look, President Trump wanted to refill it when oil prices were collapsing in the second quarter of 2020. And I think if we get a big decline in oil prices, it would make sense. And I would hope the administration would start to refill it, i.e. buy low and, uh, you know, don't sell until you really need it kind of a thing. I think they will. I think I think they, they you know, there's been press reports. They've been kicking around ideas for how to refill it. Yep. They have a rule that would make it easier for DOE to do so. And so uh, hopefully we'll hear something about uh, refilling as well as drawing. There's also an argument inside the White House right now, Bob McNally, about potentially banning or putting controls on oil exports. And there's an argument about what that would actually do to prices. It's not as simple as saying, hey, well, we've got more supply here. There could actually be uh, an increase in prices in some areas because of the patchwork, the way the different ways uh, that different regions of the country work. The Northeast, for instance, imports a lot of heating oil uh, in the wintertime. Do you see that as something that should happen? What effect would it have? Well, here again, I would invoke uh, Brian Deese and have, have you consult most energy experts, including me. And I think we would say banning exports of certainly of crude oil would make uh, gasoline prices and diesel prices go up. OK, it would not help the consumer. Now, what's being discussed is banning the export of refined products, gasoline and distillate and so forth. Look, if you didn't waive the Jones Act and you couldn't use boats, prices would just go up on the coasts, right? Coasts would yes, still right. have to import higher, higher barrels refiners would drop runs, we'd have less supply. It would be an own goal, Joe, one of the biggest own goals in energy policy, counterproductive. Now, look, if you waive the Jones Act, which would upset the Maritime Union, if you did that, (laughs) you might get a few weeks of lower oil prices, gasoline prices, but then they will be higher later on. So I would defy you to find a single energy expert who thinks that banning exports is a good idea, even if you want to reduce prices for consumers. Fascinating conversation. This is why you have to bring in an expert on this stuff, because, my God, I can't imagine, Bob, what you think. People talk like they know what they're talking about in the energy market, and they're usually wrong. And so we reach out to Bob McNally, and I thank you, Bob, founder and president, Rapidan Energy, his book, Crude Volatility. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is the fastest hour in politics, which is why we need to hear from the panel on this. I know we've had this conversation a few, what, tens of millions of barrels ago. But Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us, our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Jeannie, are we really doing this all over again here three weeks before the election? My gosh, they, they accused Joe Biden of buying votes with debt, student loan debt forgiveness. Uh, this would be even more direct, would it not? It would. And one of if the questions, it if it worked, and one of the questions asked today, as you know better than I do, was, was of, of the press secretary, is this a ploy ahead of the midterms? And she yeah. did not directly answer <laughs> that question, as far as I could tell. But that's, you know, part of the challenge here for the administration and Democrats, and I was struck again by the fact she's still using Putin price hike, is they've wanted to explain mm. the higher prices as a result of the Russian war in Putin and put that on his back. And yet for voters, that's not how they see it. They see the prices as a result of the administration and policy mistakes. And that's the difficulty the administration is facing. And three weeks ago, I, it looks like they're going to do this tomorrow. It does look like it. Uh, Rick, is it a good idea? Well, I think that uh, they're trying to do everything they can uh, to try and um, buy votes. And yeah. like uh-huh. what you said, that no question the student loan program was just a vote buying mechanism. And this is the same thing. I mean, oil prices, gas prices are already going down. They're down almost 
10 cents in the last week. I mean, what are they trying to accomplish that isn't already happening? And as Bob McNally said, you know, if recession fears continue, that'll help drive the price of gas down. Yeah. So, you know, they're well, going to get what they want. this is why OPEC is cutting, right? Right, exactly. Um, so uh, I don't really get what they're hoping to achieve here other than a PR stunt. Fascinating listening to Corinne Jean-Pierre kind of dance around these questions, knowing she couldn't make the announcement for Joe Biden. He's going to do that tomorrow. But talk about the work that's been done. And she decided to break it down state by state. Fascinating uh, because uh, the choice of states here, uh, they're they're basically all battleground states. They're basically all states where we have major contests of the balance of power here in Washington on the line. Let's listen. Just to give you a few states, California is down almost 30 cents uh, this week. Wisconsin is down over 20 cents this week. Oregon is down over 20 cents uh, this week. Michigan is down uh, about 17, uh, 16 cents this week. Ohio and Indiana are down 13 cents this week. And so those are the few states that we're seeing the sharp declines that are not, they're not coming down. Is that a coincidence, Jeannie, that all those states were chosen? Uh, no coincidence. And, you know, again, I kept thinking if they're declining and she's going through so methodically the decline, <laughs> why are they going to release now or tomorrow? Yeah. And, hmm. you know, she didn't really have an answer for that that I thought was, you know, resounding or convincing. Rick and Jeannie stay with us for the hour, our signature panel, as we turn next to as well funding for the war in Ukraine. There's a big overlap in these two stories here. And the man who wants to hold the gavel in the House says there could be some controls on money headed from the U.S. to Ukraine. More ahead. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. A big part of the conversation today inside the White House went from oil prices, energy prices, and the Putin price hike, as Jeannie reminded us, and the administration likes to call it, to funding for the war in Ukraine. This, of course, after Kevin McCarthy got the conversation started, he spoke with Punchbowl. And, of course, he's pretty sure he's going to be the Speaker of the House in a few weeks. Quote, I think people are going to be sitting in a recession and they're not going to write a blank check to Ukraine. He said they just won't do it. It's not a free blank check. Then he went on to talk about the things the Biden administration is not doing that will cost money like the border. Ukraine is important, he says, again, quoting. But at the same time, it cannot be the only thing they do, and it cannot be a blank check. Mark Warner, senator from Virginia, speaking with Bloomberg today, spoke to David Weston on balance of power about this issue. It's not the first time we've heard this from some elements of the right, but never from a mainstream politician like Kevin McCarthy. I do fear that there is this Trump-led America alone contingent uh, that could have greatly increased power in the House, and a Republican House next year uh, could undermine that support. America alone. Remembering, of course, Warner is on the Intelligence Committee. He's deep inside this conversation when it comes to funding. Karine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary at the White House. We thank leaders across the House and Senate, Republicans and Democrats. As I've just, just said, it was a bipartisan effort who are working with us to hold Putin accountable and support Ukraine uh, to defend itself from Russia's war crimes and atrocities. So this is, again, we're going to closely engage. Uh, we're going to closely monitor these uh, dis- 
these discussions. Uh, don't want to get ahead uh, of what what uh, what Congress might look like uh, next year. Uh, don't want to go into hypotheticals. Uh, but again, we're going to continue to engage uh, with Congress. On very that. careful, very careful answer there. Don't want to upset anybody before Congress comes back to town and we have to talk this out. Let's assemble the panel to get around on this because it is interesting. We start talking about holding Putin accountable. That would be another way of looking at the SPR release if it did, in fact, lower prices. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us. Rick, is this about to happen? Is this going to be a conversation? And, and we've gone down this road before on this program. But a new Republican majority in the House could mean a more difficult conversation about funding Ukraine. Yeah, it's definitely a bigger conversation in the House than it would be in the Senate, although there were 11 uh, senators, GOP senators, who voted against the $40 billion supplemental in May. So, um, you know, and, and, and as you point out, this starts with the leadership. This is not like a renegade group of Republicans who want to cause trouble. Mm. You know, this is it includes Stephen Scalise and, you know, Elise Stefanik and, you know, the, the, the whip and the number three. So, like, this is the entire leadership of the Republican House of Representatives talking about going soft on Ukraine. And it's uh, it's a big departure for Republicans uh, giving away a national security issue like this uh, yeah, right. to Democrats would be a massive disappointment to most of the what I would call old school Republican orthodoxy on, you know, sort of the hawks in foreign policy. Would it leave, Jeannie, uh, the Biden administration uh, to its own devices? I mean, they can com- they can continue to send things to Ukraine and draw down our own uh, ammo in, in the process. They can, but of course, they also want to push a big package through of aid that is needed. I mean, let's not forget what's happened in Ukraine with the Russian missile strikes just in the last 24 hours. The attacks on the energy sector have been dramatic and they've been debilitating. Reports are 30 percent of their electrical generating capacity is now down. If this keeps up, whereas Russia has been losing on the front lines, they can pressure the Ukrainian government, the people. They will need more support from the United States. And who is leading this charge? We hear it from people like Tucker Carlson. We hear it from people like CPAC. And then you have J.D. Vance, Blake Masters, and others running for the Senate. So this is going to be a growing chorus of Republicans. And to Rick's point, this is a far cry from where the traditional Republican Party was. And if they go in this America's first direction, it is going to be ceding to the Democrats the upper hand on foreign policy. And more importantly, it is going to leave the entire Ukrainian population vulnerable to Russia. Was that America first or America alone, as Senator Warner said, Rick? Yeah, I think it, it becomes uh, America alone because our European allies are totally committed to this and they're going to feel the pinch by their own decisions, right? They're going to have a very cold winter mm. based on their willingness to, right. to support Ukraine. And they're going to, if we leave them out to dry come November, um, you know, we're going to, we're not just upsetting Ukraine, we're upsetting the, the Western alliance and it yeah. could mean a lot more in the future than just Ukraine. Well, the timing is something here as this, you know, this group, United 24, uh, which is raising money on behalf of the Ukrainian government, uh, is making a a great case for anybody, not governments, but civilians to contribute to the cause here. President Zelensky uh, went to talk to uh, Wall Street, if you remember, not that long ago, virtually, of course, to ask uh, for help in, in providing money, not just for the war effort, but rebuilding Ukraine. My God, Jeannie, Luke Skywalker is even on board this thing. Mark Hamill 
is now the ambassador, one of several celebrity ambassadors. I believe he was the ambassador of drones or something, signing on to United 24 to make the case. Could this become a private fundraising enterprise? It could. And who can say no to Luke Skywalker? Mark Hamill, love him. Um, You know, it it could. But, you know, certainly you do need the support of the, the, the NATO. You need the support of our allies. You need the support of the United States government as much as the private sector can do. And that is very important. The public sector has got to step in. And here's where I think the Biden administration has to explain where the $60 billion went and why it's important. You can't just send it and not talk about it. All comes down to the receipts. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we turn to fight night in Ohio. Jack Fitzpatrick will join us from Lima following last night's Senate debate. It's next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The second round between Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance Covered a lot of ground last night in Ohio. Youngstown was the scene. They talked inflation. They talked abortion. They talked crime and the border. But the debate also, at times, devolved into a brawl. You were calling Trump America's Hitler. Then you kissed his ass. It's not true. It is true. And then you kissed his ass. And then he endorsed you. And you said he's the greatest president of all time. Mitch McConnell gave you $40 million to prop up your campaign. Peter Thiel gave you $15 million. That's $55 million, J.D. What do you think they want for that? They want your loyalty. And you proved that you'll kiss their ass, too. We've heard that line before. He brought it around again. Uh, J.D. Vance, of course, reminding us that Tim Ryan said nice things about the speaker, Nancy Pelosi. I, I, I know the president very well, and absolutely, he was joking about a New York Times story. That's all he was doing. I didn't take offense to it. I talked to the president before it. I talked to the president afterwards. Everybody there took it as a joke. This guy goes on national TV and says, I love Nancy Pelosi, and has the audacity of accusing me of kissing anyone's rear end. It's pretty rich. That, that was the nice part. Once things got to replacement theory and some of the more extreme Issues out there, if I can call them that. The moderators had their work cut out for them. Much like Bloomberg government Congress reporter Jack Fitzpatrick, our friend here at Bloomberg Sound On, who is in Ohio and actually talked to Tim Ryan a little while ago today. He's in Lima. And Jack, I assume that's because both candidates hit the trail after their debate. What are they up to today? Yeah, they've they've been on the trail. Tim Ryan came to Lima to talk to local Democrats at the uh, local chapter of the VFW, uh, talked about the debate, kind of uh, did that spin room, you know, rehashed some of his greatest hits from it. Uh, J.D. Vance is on the trail. I've got some events for him tomorrow, so we'll follow up with him on on some of the key issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I can certainly tell you right now uh, the, the big message from Ryan uh, is especially speaking to Democrats, tying uh, J.D. Vance to national Republicans. Ted Cruz is coming to town uh, sometime in the next week for an event with him, going over those Trump lines, uh, basically saying that that he, Ryan, is the real Ohioan and Vance, uh, you know, left and went to San Francisco and came back. That's a a pretty key message that he's pushing when he's talking to Democrats, especially. Yeah. Tying him to extremists. He spent quite a bit of time. uh, Tim Ryan spent quite a bit of time doing this last night with J.D. Vance and not just Donald Trump. Marjorie Taylor Greene, to your point, Ted Cruz, here's a taste. I think it is grounded in some of the most racial 
divisive, racially divisive writings in the history of the world. We should note here, by the way, that Tim Ryan, I want to be fair, was asked about replacement theory because this has been coming up uh, on the campaign trail with with some Republican candidates. It's been around, frankly, uh, going back to uh, the Trump administration. Here's Tim Ryan answering that. question. I think it is grounded in some of the most racial, divisive, racially divisive writings in the history of the world. And this is who he's running around with, talking about replacement theory. There's no big grand conspiracy. This is a country who's been enriched by immigrants from all quarters of the, the world. And there's no and the problem. It's shameful the for you danger, to accuse me of that, given the, my family. The danger, it's shameful for you to accuse me my of that. My turn, pal. My turn. Oh, buddy. My your turn. turn. My you, turn. What, what you said, I'm, Here, I'm your guy, this, right? This. Okay, well, here's the thing. Uh, J.D. Vance had quite a reply ready for that. Jack, here's what he said. Here's exactly what happens when the media and people like Tim Ryan accuse me of engaging the great, great replacement theory. I'll tell you, you exactly, peddling it. I'll you tell you exactly what happens, Tim. What happens is that my own children, my biracial children, get attacked by scumbags online and in person because you are so desperate for political power that you'll accuse me, the father of three beautiful biracial babies, of engaging in racism. We are sick of it. You can believe in a border without being a racist. You can believe in the the country without being a racist. Well, that's a lot there, uh, Jack. Uh, Did J.D. Vance shut down that line of attack from Tim Ryan or did it continue today? Uh, you know, the uh, part about the great replacement theory did not continue in today's event uh, with Tim Ryan. I would say, though, it would be hard to say he absolutely shut it down. Uh, there was a, a scrum with reporters that each candidate did after the debate yesterday. Uh, and some local reporters were pressing Vance on that. Uh, it is an issue and sort of the tangentially related issue that Ryan uh, tried to tie Vance to Alex Jones. Vance has has spoken supportively of him, uh, including on his legal issues. Uh, And and so, you know, there's kind of a a myriad of issues uh, surrounding that uh, racially charged uh, exchange that you heard that covered a a variety of issues. I would not say it's something Vance has just put down. Uh, It's not something Ryan just brought up with a number of Democrats, but it does seem to be a significant attack from Ryan on Vance. Something you would only know there, of course, if you were on the ground. I'm looking at the poll of polls here, the average from Real Clear Politics. Uh, Jack, they've got Vance up by two points. This race is too close to call, right? That's how you describe it? Yeah, it's a very, very close race. Um, you know, this state is a, a state with a lot of Republicans. It seems to be an emerging Republican advantage. If you anticipate that people break at the end toward their party, you could probably see an advantage for Vance. But you look at the polling, you talk to voters around here, it's a very, very competitive race. And there's uh, maybe some head scratching as to why national Democrats haven't gone in to help uh, Tim Ryan more. Isn't that right? Although Joe Biden would not be, I'm assuming, considered a big help in Ohio this time around, Jack. No, probably not. But money might be money from national Democratic groups to get on TV would probably be the big help. Although I will say we we asked Tim Ryan about that, too, and he is perfectly happy to say, I don't need Chuck Schumer's help. I don't need the national Democrats money. He's he's trying to make the case that he is independent of them. So while their money would have been helpful, uh, he's not complaining openly about the lack of support. Well, we sent the right guy to Ohio. Great to have you, Jack, and thank you. Jack Fitzpatrick reporting for Bloomberg Government. Of course, he covers Congress, and this is right in his wheelhouse. I'll bring it back to the 9th of October. Marjorie Taylor Greene speaking at a Trump rally in Arizona.
This stuff does not come out of thin air. Joe Biden's five million illegal aliens are on the verge of replacing you, replacing your jobs and replacing your kids in school and coming from all over the world. They're also replacing your culture. And that's not great for America. We'll reassemble the panel next. Their take on the debate last night. J.D. versus Tim Ryan. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are up next, our signature panel. And we'll check traffic and markets for you on the way. Thanks for being with us. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. As we follow the money all the way to Ohio or not, as the case may be, Jack points out something important. While the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee has reserved about one and a half million dollars in ads for the general election on behalf of Tim Ryan, the Democrat, the Senate Leadership Fund, this is the one you've heard Rick Davis talk about, aligned with Mitch McConnell, has reserved 30 million to boost J.D. Vance. Make America Great Again Super PAC run by allies of Donald Trump reserving another $1.4 million. And then you got Peter Thiel on top of it. Maybe that's why everybody is so upset, stressed out in this race. The GOP was favored to hold this seat in Ohio, the seat of retiring Republican Senator Rob Portman. But it's too close to call right now. And boy, they were feeling it, as you heard last the night. Problem, it's shameful the for you to accuse me of that, given the, my family. The it's danger. shameful for you to accuse me my of that. My turn, pal. My turn. Oh, buddy. My your turn. turn. My you, turn. What, well, you said I'm, Here, I'm your guy, this, right? This. I'm your guy, right? Come on, buddy. How about you, pal? Rick Davis has been through that ringer before. Jeannie Shanzano, I like to think you've not been subjected to such brawling. But they do make up our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics Contributors. That was a real debate, Rick. Did it move the needle? You know, I think it got everybody's attention, but I'm not sure uh, there was any kind of really um, uh, decisive blows landed. Uh, You know, it was really incumbent upon... Uh, Tim Ryan to sort of, you know, show that he could try to land a hard punch on J.D. Vance. And it was a rough debate. No doubt about it. It, It's right up there with the, you know, blood and guts debates I've seen. But uh, the reality is that there was no hard punch landed. And uh, he needs to change this dynamic because it's settling into a, you know, sort of comfortably small lead by J.D. Vance. and, And that's not good for So did did Vance shut down that replacement theory attack line? Because we've been hearing that quite a bit last couple of weeks. Could that survive into the the final weeks of the campaign, Rick? Yeah, I think invoking his daughters was a great way to parry out of that. Um, Obviously, he doesn't even want to talk about it. And and most people, I mean, look, we we don't see that really banging around the top of the poll charts, right? I mean, like, you know, and and voters don't like it when you start saying somebody's a racist, right? I mean, they're like, yeah, let's talk about inflation or, you know, gas prices or even abortion. But like, you know, the... The, the, the voters that I have uh, polled in the past, you know, 30 years, uh, you yeah. start throwing around terms like racist and and you're, you're they're turning the dial. His wife is a daughter of Indian immigrants, Jeannie. And of course, he's already referred to his uh, as he refers to them, three beautiful biracial babies. Was that was that a tough moment for Tim Ryan to go there? 
You know, it was tough. Um, or a but dumb moment? It, I don't think it was dumb, no. I mean, I think it's part of what Tim Ryan has tried to show the people of Ohio, which is that he believes, and for good reason in many cases, that J.D. Vance is somebody who has been playing with fire. He has been on Tucker Carlson's show many times. Hmm. He has, in you know, in Tim Ryan's view, stoked ra- racial violence, is what he said. And this is something that voters need to know. And, you know... The race in here is what Real Clear Politics has it at plus two for Vance. That's well within the margin, much better than Democrats could ever have hoped to do. Tim Ryan has been, I think, one of the most impressive Democrats on the trail this, you know, this cycle. And he is keeping the fire going out there, despite the fact he is well underfunded because Democrats have not been willing to support him out there. So he says this is a David versus Goliath fight, and it truly is. He's got a real shot there, and if he pulls it out, it would be stunning, but it's still an uphill battle. If I asked you, Rick, you know, six months ago, whatever, the beginning of the year, if, if you thought that Dems could flip Rob Portman's seat, what would you have said? Uh, I would have said unlikely, uh, okay. considering the trends that Ohio's been on and how popular uh, Rob Portman was, and frankly, mm-hmm. how popular Mike DeWine is. Mike DeWine is going to cruise into a you know, 54, 55% victory. And so when you have someone like that at the top of the ticket yeah. and you're trying to overturn the second slot, it's awful tough. And, and I would say that you know, J.D. Vance was probably one of the weaker candidates we could have put up for this job. So uh, the reality is, as Mitch McConnell said, if we put up strong candidates, we wouldn't even be talking about Ohio. Wow. Well, I want to uh, bring you to Utah, which was the other uh, more <laughs> one of the more rambunctious debates of the night. Uh, Evan McMullen, we talked about him yesterday, the independent who, of course, ran for president against Donald Trump uh, in 2016. He, his his friend Mike Lee voted for him for president. And now Senator Mike Lee is trying to defend this seat against Evan McMullen. And boy, they both showed up for it last night. Here's McMullen, the independent. I think both you and I have have had times of frustration over the last several years in the options being provided to us at the presidential level by both parties. In 2016, as you recall, you voted for me out of that frustration when you stood on principle, as you should have. It's not a bad line, Jeannie. It wasn't a bad line, and it was a fascinating debate, in part because it was one of the few where this issue of January 6th really took, you know, an enormous amount of attention and time and was deeply personal, and they both talked about it. And boy, McMullen has the benefit of being an independent, because as much as Lee would hope to have a Democrat that he could, you know, pretend he's running against Joe Biden, he was able to do that a little, but he wasn't able to do it as much as he could with a Democrat, and that's the benefit. McMullen has of being a true independent. Well, let's go there. Uh, Evan McMullen going after Senator Mike Lee on the idea of providing or at least supporting this idea of fake slates of electors, not to mention referring Sidney Powell and John Eastman to the White House. You sought to urge the White House that had lost an election to find fake electors to overturn the will of the people. Senator Lee, that was the most egregious betrayal of our nation's constitution in its history by a U.S. senator, I believe, and it will be your legacy. Pretty tough stuff here. Now, you remember there was an issue of props at debates in the last week. No badges were flashed last night, but you better believe Senator Mike Lee had his pocket constitution. I followed it. I studied it. And I defended it to a prop. We'll have 30 seconds here. Leaving it in the air. For you to suggest otherwise looks right in the face of truth and in the face of the Constitution. 
How dare you, sir? Mr. McMullen, you have 30 seconds. For Look, S Senator Lee has been doing this thing with his pocket constitution for the last several years. Senator Lee, it is not a prop. It is not a prop. We've got some applause uh, for that one. Uh, Rick, is Senator Lee in trouble here? And, and, and what did you make of the body language? He was coming out from behind the podium, sort of almost trying to, to physically impose himself a bit on McMullen. Did it work? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I think that uh, the physicality thing, you know, maybe barred it from Trump, who loved to stalk the stage. Right. Um, uh, I don't think really played it well. And he was kind of hunched over and, and frankly, looked a little uncomfortable when he was doing it. Uh, huh. I, I really was impressed with Evan McMullen's uh, debate style. Right. I mean, this is a guy he has been around politics a while, but this is a big stage for him to be on. And, and he really played out his messaging. And as Jeannie said, it's one of the very few campaigns in America today where one of the key closing issues is the conduct of Mike Lee during January 6th in the uh, mm -hmm. insurrection. So uh, he made that stick a bit, and I think Mike Lee sort of leaned right into it by whipping out the Constitution <laughs> and giving him a, another opportunity to talk about it. So I'm still scratching my head. I mean, you know, you, this is – you're running against a guy who's really not a Democrat, uh, Evan right. McMullen. Uh, he's he's running as an independent, which makes sense. There's no Democrat in a race. Can that beat a sitting Republican senator? This should be a dropkick for Mike Lee to be reelected. I mean, you know, there's really uh, no noticeable opposition from a party point of view. And can an independent win in a state like this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, the polls are tightening. They they're definitely within you know margin of error a little bit more yeah. maybe, but. Um, wouldn't that be the story of the night, though, if this happened? I think that uh, certainly it really complicates the uh, the math for Mitch McConnell on getting a majority if one of his uh, incumbents loses like this, right? Yeah. And so uh, certainly it's a big story of the night. And I think that maybe it's a message to the, the Republican Party that they've got more vulnerability on this issue of January 6th than mm -hmm. they otherwise might have thought. Jeannie, I, I, all I could think of was Rick Lazio. I know this was a long time ago. But remember when he went, he, he left his podium and went over to Hillary Clinton in that 2000 Senate race, asking her to sign this campaign finance pledge. It backfired big time. Don't leave your podium, right? That's right. You know, and I remember it well. I've talked to Rick Lazio about that. He explains sure it a lot have. differently than it came, <laughs> than it looked on TV as okay. I was watching it. Um, and, and yeah, you know, and part of that um, was the issue of gender, of course, which was played played big in that in that case. But True to enough, your yeah. point, you've got to be very careful about body language. Don't leave your podium. Don't look at your watch. You know, <laughs> there's some rules that we know now. And of course, you know, getting candidates to follow that, as Rick can tell us better than anybody else, is easier said than done. And I think the interesting thing here, to Rick's point, is that McMullen being a sort of first-time, not first-time candidate, but really on a big stage here, versus Mike Lee, it was an impressive showing. He remains still behind. But if he could catch this, to your point... Wow, that would be big news on election night. It sure would. And, of course, we'll be doing that together live, all of us here for you on Bloomberg Radio. I'll tell you, you guys got off easy again tonight. You know why? Uh. I haven't had a chance to ask you about Kanye and Parler. You know where I'm not going to let you get away with it all week, though. As Elon Musk today tweets an image of him, Donald Trump, and yes, yay. Apparently, the trinity of social media. Rick and Jeannie, thanks as always. We'll get back here and do it again tomorrow. We will get into this yay story on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.